The music in this episode was recorded before a live studio audience and was sung by the live studio audience in Newton, Massachusetts. This is a special bonus edition of Judaism Unbound, communal singing. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Lex Rofberg, and Dan isn't with us for this bonus episode, not because he wouldn't love to be, but because this bonus episode is actually a recording of a live event in Boston, Massachusetts, technically Newton, Massachusetts, at Hebrew College, where I was privileged to be one of the guests at an incredible conference on the future and the transformation of American synagogues. And I was moderator for a great panel where we looked at um, Jewish singing. We looked at communal Jewish singing. We looked at questions of worship, questions of community, questions of melody, of performance, um, all of these that that will come up in the body of this episode because this is uh, an edited version of that live event. Um, I want to introduce the two panelists. They're two really, really talented, really incredible individuals. And the first one is David Fainsilber. He's from Montreal, Canada originally. And uh, he currently lives in Morrisville, Vermont, where he serves the Jewish community of Greater Stowe as their rabbi. He is an alum of Hebrew College's rabbinical school, a musician and a writer, and a former Interfaith Circle Fellow. Uh, he also was a Colt Sedek Fellow with AJWS, that's American Jewish World Service, and rabbinic intern for MIT and Tufts Hillel's. In addition to David Fainsilber, on the panel was Jessica Kate Meyer, who uh, served for four years as rabbi of Romamu and recently became the rabbi and chazan at The Kitchen in San Francisco, a community that we've featured on the podcast in the past. Uh, she also was ordained by Hebrew College's rabbinical school, and uh, she studied sacred Jewish music with a number of rabbis from both Sephardic and Ashkenazi traditions and performed as a vocalist with ensembles in New York, Boston, and Jerusalem. Uh, you may know Jessica Kate Meyer from her her principal role in The Pianist, the, the movie directed by Roman Polanski uh, a number of years ago. Uh, she was prominently featured in that and uh, was very impressive in that role. So we're, we're thrilled, where I'm thrilled um, to have been in conversation with both of them and to have been a part of this incredible conference at Hebrew College. And we wanted to give you a chance to hear our part of it. So without further ado, we'll jump right into the panel. Hi, I'm Jessica. I got to learn at Hebrew College in the Beit Midrash. I was ordained with David Feinsilber in 2014. And my journey with Jewish music and communal singing began when I was five years old, um, when my family had just moved to a new town, a really lame town called West Hartford, Connecticut. And we, oh, sorry, and we, um, it's bad. bad. Anyway, um, we moved and we started going to this very society synagogue. And um, I had, you know, I'd started playing the violin. I was very, you know, I was very engaged in music from birth. And so at five, I, I, we walked into the synagogue and immediately I just, it was like a laser beam to the neshama um, with the voice of the chazin, um, Moshe Lengsner. And I heard him sing, and I said, I don't, you know, I didn't have the language for it, but I was like, that's mine. <laughs> that's, that just, there's nothing else, no 
cantatas, no, nothing else will speak to me the way this music speaks to me. So um, uh, I, I began following him around. I began, um, you know, singing. And then, you know, Hebrew school knocked all of the soul out of me um, because I didn't go to the Mensch Academy at Mishkan. And, um, and it took me, um, you know, I then... Um, you know, so I, I went off to Israel. I worked in theater and film. I went to drama school in London. I played a principal role in The Pianist by Roman Polanski. And when I, and that was my first film. And the f when we were preparing for this film and I was doing lots of research, um, I met an ethnomusicologist who made me a mixtape because it was 2001 and there were mixtapes. And, um, and it was a cassette. And um, he made me a cassette of all of the music that this woman who came from this family of musicians would have been exposed to, listening to, in the years between World War I and World War II in Warsaw. And the first piece on this, of this mixtape um, was a piece of Chazanut um, by cantor Gershon Sorota, who was a Warsaw, uh, Warsaw Chazan. And, um, and immediately I, I began, I was like, there was something in that moment. There was a lot on the way there. It, it was, it, but that moment did um, bring me back. And I ended up, when I was in Warsaw, meeting a lot of the new community there, Jewish community. Um, and, uh, and then I was back in London, living there, working in film. And I started davening, and I, you know, I lived in Israel, so I had the Hebrew, and I went to shul that was like alternated between being an Iraqi shul synagogue and a Karl Bach minion. So it was just such a range, and um, Sachi and Sachi synagogue in, in North London, and um, so I would go on both days, and I once again was like called in and was davening and loved it so much. Moved to LA um, to continue working in film and theater, and met um, my rabbi who mentored me, Sharon Browse. Um, she had just founded Ikar, and I walked into shul one day, and she said, "Come help me lead prayer." And she said, "Come, come teach, come work with the kids." And the ex and I had this very clear experience um, of turning away from what it is to be an actor what it, or a performing musician, um, and what it is to be a builder of community through song and prayer. And it was very, it was, there was a lot of clarity in that. I mean, there's so many things that are gray, but this wasn't one of those things. And, um, and from that point, I began, my work is building community through song and singing and, oh, and there's so much, and playing with lots of different musicians, studying um, in the Syrian Jewish community in Jerusalem, studying, uh, playing a lot of klezmer music, just um, growing. And, and then I moved to Romamu after here, um, where I was a rabbi and one of the music directors, and so got to work with an incredible community there who just, it's a dream. They walk in and they're there to daven. Nobody is there as a spectator. And then now in San Francisco. Everybody. It's an honor and thank you for the invite to Dan and to Sharon and so humbling to be in this this place as maybe to give over a little bit of what I've learned in these few years as a rabbi in front of uh, wonderful teachers who have taught me 
Uh, and also in our midst, a little shout out to, uh, I'm the, the rabbi of the Jewish community of Greater Stowe, and uh, there's a few congregants uh, and friends here, so welcome and, and thank you for being here. Um, I wanna take a step back and, and start with uh, how I connected to music, uh, maybe even before I knew about quote unquote Jewish music. Um, uh, my, my dad, uh, Harry Feinsolber, may his memory be a blessing, uh, was a musician and played guitar and he wouldn't have called himself a musician. Uh, but if you were in a room with him, everyone was singing along. Uh, and it was by the fireplace and it was out in the campfire and it was everywhere and anywhere and all of, he, he connected, he built community, he built friendships and family uh, in many ways, including uh, the music that he brought. And um, so I grew up him, you know, tapping his feet to a song, sometimes Jewish, but often like 50s and 60s music and some protest and civil rights music and uh, a whole mix of what you might expect and things you've never heard of. Uh, and that rhythm uh, became a part of my life. Uh, it, it became a part of my soul uh, and so grateful for that. Um, and it, it was the rhythm of the foot tapping and uh, always on beat uh, guitar playing and singing. Uh, it was also the rhythm of community making uh, and it was never, it was always in service of the community that gathered uh, and the friends and family that gathered. Um, so that's where my musical journey began. My earliest memory of just loving music and being crushed and humbled and, and uh, broken by it uh, is, is uh, Kol Nidre uh, in uh, at Dorche Emmet in Montreal, Reconstructionist uh, Synagogue with Rabbi Ron Agin. And it's like if you're, if you're eight years old or nine years old or 10 years old and you're listening to Kol Nidre and you're crying, uh, the synagogue's doing something right. Um, and so, you know, from there, went to Vancouver and found a renewal synagogue that was very participatory and all about everybody singing along and found uh, a deepening spirituality in the music and then uh, met my beloved and two months later moved to New York and, um, and then uh, with Rabbi Alana Alpert <coughs> made our way up to Hebrew College. And on the prospective students' Tashma experience, walked into Davening and there was this sonic arc minion that, you know, may its memory be for a blessing. Also, uh, unless it's around, keep it all, yes. Okay, it's still around. Um, and it's noise making or, or music making and humming and there's always, there's always uh, some melody coming out of people's mouths at any given time in the space and 
I thought, wow, I've landed at Hebrew College, and, and then I got to do that for five years here. Um, so I'm not checking my phone to look at my phone. I have, I have a note from a conversation that the three of us had before, uh, about a week ago, where we were just talking about what, what would be worth spending our time together doing today. And, and I came into it, and here's my, here's my take on um, American Jewish prayer experiences for me. Um, I reached, I had my fill of what I term Hine Matov Judaism when I was like, 14 or 15. And I say that, so there's the melodies for Hine Matov that are often used as the, as the fun, get everybody into the room melodies, but I also mean the literal meaning of it. So Hine Matov Umanaim Shevet Achim Gam Yachad. It's about how wonderful, how good it is, how pleasant it is to come together as brothers, as siblings, and, and be together. And for such a long time, really, like 13, 14 years, that was my Jewish, that was my experience. And I really thought that what I wanted to do was be part of Jewish community. But eventually at a certain point I realized, I'm not really content with saying the victory is gathering together. I'm actually not, I'm actually not excited to say simply coming together is the pleasant and the good thing. And it, it is a pleasant and a good thing. I don't mean to dismiss that entirely, but I realized that I was only about to spend my time in, in worship spaces especially, but even many other kinds of Jewish communal spaces, if they were striving for more than just that, that coming together. And um, I, I, the way I talk about my experience with Jewish prayer now is that I want reach nichoach. Um, I want that delicious aroma that is ascribed to what God sort of received from the sacrifices in the temple, so like low expectations, right? <laughs> like, but genuinely, I, I expect and strive for excellence in a, in a space of communal singing, of worship, of whatever, of whatever we are calling it. And, and I'm not going to go. If, I, if I'm not looking for that reach nichoach, if I'm not looking to really transcend something about my normalness, then I'm probably not going to go. And, and something that David said in that phone call resonated with that element of me, and I want to read it, because I asked them, sort of big picture, what do you want from experiences of communal worship, of communal prayer? And David said the following list. Ready? It's, it's a long one, but it's a goodie. Um, we should strive for prayer that is transformational, primal, God-centered, soul-centering, intimate, community-minded, traditional, creative, emotional, informal, without inhibition, meditative, egalitarian, fostering communal connection, and joyous. And more. And more. Um, So I'm gonna pass it back to the two of you, and David, maybe you can start us off. It's an overwhelming list, but I think it's a good list because we should be striving for that, right? Um, Tell us more about why those adjectives came to mind. Well, maybe to state the obvious, those are aspirational. Um, And um, they're also inward qualities. They're, you know, if you walk into a synagogue and um, the the singing is not at the height of what we were, you know, just singing and, you know, with everybody participating and yet we could, you can still have all of those qualities in your own prayer practice. Um, what, I, I wrote that list as I was thinking about my rabbinic priorities. 
uh, you know, how do I want the davening to be, the prayer to be in a synagogue, and um, and I shared it with the board and uh, of the of the synagogue, and um, you know what what feels most alive of these of those adjectives or qualities, uh, the first being creating an intimate space, creating a Hamish space. Um, I use the word excellence, and, I, and I've always kind of graded against that uh, word, um, depending on how it's, um, how it's used. Uh, I feel like there's two kinds of synagogues. Once you say that, it's like, <laughs> you're wrong, obviously. But there, there are those who strive for excellence, and there are those who strive for Hamishness. Um, and maybe sometimes they meet in the middle. I'm trying to find that middle ground because um, it's about community building. It's about bringing people together. Uh, it's also about beautiful singing. Um, I am so blessed in, in Vermont to have incredible musicians, lay musicians, uh, cello and percussion and uh, clarinet and um, saxophone and uh, it, Etc. Um, and it's just they just sound beautiful. Like we could sit and listen to them, and that would be Dayenu. Um, and so I'm blessed with that. But also, at the bottom line, is not how quote unquote good the music is. It's are we building relationship together, and what does that relationship look like? And and are we connected to each other? Are we, dare I say, hine <laughs> matov? Um, uh, and you know, it's about the relationships. I really, something I learned from my teacher here, Rabbi Eben Leader, also from my te teacher Chazan Lin Torgov um, and Chazan Brian Mayer, is around prayer as a journey that every time you're going into a prayer service, you're, you're, you're going places. <laughs> if you stay in the same place, it, it, didn't, it, it didn't happen. Maybe it wasn't even prayer, or maybe it was just flat. And um, I've actually been reading this wonderful, ah, this wonderful book by Dovzinger called Tikkun Tefilati. I don't know if anyone has, has seen it, and it's, um, he talks about, um, one, of, one of the things he talks about is that where do you begin the story? What do you take out of the story? And what do you make sure you never take out of the story? Like where, and where the story begins, where the prayer begins, where the melody begins, is gonna change the whole story and is gonna change the whole journey. Um, so I try and use that um, as a guidepost as I'm planning when I'm thinking about tefillah and also where the community is and where, where they're reaching for and where they're stuck. Um, and it's tremendous to be in both uh, a rabbinic role, a pastoral role, and a role, to be able to really know, every, know the community mm -hmm. and what's going on mm -hmm. for people and where they're moving, where they can, where they need to go, where, you know, and I don't actually, that's hubris to 
think that I know where they need to go or we need to go, but to kind of feel into what is possible in that prayer space, what is possible to open up on that particular day. If I'm gonna ask somebody in the Jewish universe about the idea of theater and of performance, um, I'm sitting next to a good option, a really good option. Um, And so, uh, also in our conversation, we talked a little bit about this, because I feel like there's this evil, scary word, um, the P word, performance. Um, and I want to unpack it for a second, and I want to think about, A, what, we, what are the pieces that we are rightly scared about and what we want to avoid in prayer context and why that word performance is what we're not trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to share, at the same time, the, the holiness that can be present in some forms of performance, because... One, one, I, have, I appoint people my rebbies. They don't know that I've appointed them my rebbies. Um, one of them, um, her name's Alicia Moore. Anybody know who that is? Anybody? Pink. Uh, Pink. Pink. The um, singer. Um, so I had a spiritual performance a few months ago where, where I went to a Pink concert. And it was a deeply spiritual experience for me. And, and I'm not saying that to... to I'm not saying that to make light of that which is spiritual. It was actually a deeply spiritual experience. And my musical background, um, in college, I had two spiritual singing communities. One was Hillel, where I gathered every Friday night and I sang. And and it was more than singing. It was worship. It was all sorts of things. Um, And I had my a cappella group, which was not a Jewish a cappella group. And this was a group of people that I came together with regularly and sang for spiritual holy purposes. And so for me, that question, and that was a performance group, right? So my question is that I'd throw, I'd throw out there to both of you, especially Jessica, given your, your background in the theatrical, is A, what is it that we need to distill and say this is the part of performance we don't want mm-hmm. in, our, in our Jewish spaces of communal worship, of communal singing? Mm-hmm. And also, though, like, what are the things that maybe we can learn from a Jew like Adam Levine, who's going to be leading a few million people in communal singing this coming Sunday? Like, what, what uh, at the Super Bowl? He's the, he's the halftime show. Um, a Levite's going to be leading the world in communal singing. Um, like, so what are, seriously, though, like, what are the pieces that we really do need to try to stay away from on the performance front? And what could we learn from actors, from musicians, etc.? Performance. Yes. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so it's a totally dirty word because we're also, our generation is responding to previous generations and this idea of the chazan as, as an opera singer, as, but like who's just, we come, we listen, we're passive and we absorb. But it's, not, and, and we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater in many ways. I mean, I, mm, I, love, I love the idea, I love communal singing. I'm completely committed to communal singing. I think we've gone sometimes in the direction of we've lost the moments where we can just listen mm-hmm. and, and hear. Um, okay, I'm trying to figure this out. I, prefer, I think, <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm really struggling with this idea of what is performative because I think in a lot of communities, like in communities where I've been davening, there is an allergy to performance and I get it. But to me, what the allergy to is inauthenticity. Mm-hmm. And it's not about performance, it's about something being hawked mm-hmm. and not something being offered as an offering, as a blessing, um, as a sacrifice, that it's there's something being like just um, that's, that. that's, that's, that's not, I think it's really about authentic and inauthentic. 
so trying to read everyone's sense of performance, I think it is about authenticity. It's also, um, I was recently talking to Rabbi Eli Kompfer, um, and in his book, Empowered, Empowered Judaism, um, he talks about the prayer leader, the difference between a prayer leader who's a performer and the prayer leader who is conducting. And that's, you know, we're conducting energy. And then I also realized I have problems also with conductor, because if you grew up in a classical musical context and you worked with conductors who were like, you know, perfectionists and who like yelled at you, um, you have to watch out when you're conducting. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, how are you conducting the energy in the room in a very non kind of Beethoven kind of conducting way? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about my, my pink moment, too, and have had those experiences in concert settings where, um, you know, it's a spiritual experience. Uh, and so I think about a Stevie Wonder concert that I've been to and, you know, pretty intimate 3,000 people. Uh, and he's the, what, what made it, let's say, for lack of better words, non-performative was his utter gratitude and humility and just thanking people for the opportunity to be there uh, and then hearing that in his music also. Um, and I also think about Bobby McFerrin, uh, you know, who's one of my rabbis, um, who, uh, who conducts the what I'll call the congregation or the audience, uh, and he, he brings people along a journey. Uh, and he's more often than not solo on the stage. And it's amazing how you can be solo on a stage and for it not to be at all about him. You know, so how do you lead in a way, you know, maybe even with charisma, Maybe even with a loud voice. <laughs> Maybe even with you know some of that like Stevie Wonder, like funk rock star quality, um, or more you know contemplative qualities, but still not have it be about you. To be able to lead and not be self-conscious about, oh my God, I'm making a weird face, or I'm like stomping and someone may think that's grotesque, or I, I don't know. There's a certain level of, of inhibition that's just like, I'm in my prayer, I'm actually modeling that. There's something performative in knowing that you're modeling something. As long as, it's not, as long as I'm not dwelling on that or thinking about it and I can just dive in, but I know that does happen, that like there's a freedom that I experience when I pray that can be helpful to let other people feel free to pray. And that's a, to me, that's also a good use. I'm, I'm thinking about a few things. A, because we're in the context of a whole day of really great conversations, and I'm just like mentally flagging some words that I think we're, we're holding, whether we've uttered that they're coming up as themes. One is community. Um, interestingly, I talk to Jews about community, and I, I think there's actually different ways that people talk about the word community. I think that without realizing it, we ascribe sort of a kahila, a sacredness, a, like a, a oneness a, to the idea of community that for, for some people, they just mean a group of people gathered. Like they'll just talk about 
the university community. The, but the, you, most universities, it's not like the everybody Hine knows Matov each other. Community. Right, the Hine Matov community that I'm criticizing. Um, and I think that when we talk about community, we mean more than just a set of people gathered together implicitly in the word because of its roots in Hebrew, of kahila, of, of all of these mental associations. Um, I was also latching onto what you just, uh, what you both said about sort of what it means to lead and what role you're holding. Are you the charisma are in the room? Are you sort of following the room in certain senses? And I apologize for a second Super Bowl reference today. I'm just in that headspace because I'm in New England and um, it's that time of year. But I was thinking about a few analogies and I was curious which or if it's multiple, multiple, which of these you might sort of see as the role of a, of a davener. And I'm being influenced by this, by the way, by Reb Sheffa Gold's premise of eight different roles that people can play in, in communal experiences of chant. Um, one of them is the quarterback, getting the ball at the beginning of every play on offense and, and, and sort of making key decisions and setting the tone for what happens. One of them, by the way, before that, one other model is the coach who's sort of barking out orders. I, I, th I think it's probably, my personal inclination would not be the coach. But then there's also the offensive line. So the offensive line's role, I'm sorry, I'm going there. I'm going there, I know, I know. You've the, got the wrong team. No, we're, 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 we're <laughs> yeah, so the I'm gonna explain what the offensive line's role in football is, and then you can watch the Super Bowl next week at, a, at, an, at, a, at Bria instead of Itzira. Um, so the offensive line's role is to pave the way for the runner to pave the way for the quarterback, to make space for the quarterback. And so my instinct from what you just said is that in certain senses, a prayer leader is actually not leading in the sense we think of as being at the front of the group getting all the attention, but facilitating the experiences of others. And for me, that's the offensive line analogy. You don't have to answer with football metaphors. I'm an offensive linebacker. The, <laughs> is that a thing? No. It is now. Okay. It is now. But so I, I was curious just how, more on this leadership point, what does it mean to be a prayer leader, facilitator, Davener, like what is one's role when one's in that position and how maybe also can one be leading even when you're not like at the front with the with the mic with the music mm. yeah do you want to start do you want me to start okay <laughs> i'll start by talking about a failure of mine um when I first started at Romamu, um, what was great and what was very challenging was I was working amongst two other really um, amazing davener, davening leaders, um, Rabbi David Ingber and Hazan Basi Schechter, and the three of us were coming together, leading together. And um, what quickly came up for me, um, because I had spent many years in an orchestra, because I had been an actor and not a director, even, you know, I came in and I'm really good at listening to other people's impulses and following them, which is beautiful that everyone has instinct, but somebody's actually got to lead it. <laughs> and if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be assigned that role, I got to get better at playing it. Oh, sorry. I got to get better at, at, at playing that role and, and listening to my own instincts. And it's also, I'm sure, very connected to gender. Um, and so a big part of my own learning as, as a prayer leader was being able to hear my own instinct, to hear my rhythm, even though I was started out, oh, I'm a violinist and a singer, I, you know, I'm not the rhythm section. Well, I had to learn how to be the rhythm section, and I had to know that I knew what my count was if I was feeling it. And, and um, again, sometimes that's more important if you're with instruments. I don't know if that makes sense, but that was a big learning for me. Um, 
you know, I was watching, I went to Kilatzion, um, and there was a new prayer leader who is such a beautiful prayer leader, and there's no amplification, which is such a great thing if you have a big voice. <laughs> um, and there was a new prayer leader, and she had such instincts, and no one was following them on this particular night mm. because they were all, they had their routine. Mm -hmm. Everyone had the routine and here's another leader of tefillah. And instead of listening to what nuancing, like what nuances she's bringing, <laughs> they were like going with what they knew. Mm -hmm. And so like, I just got all up in there and like got right into the front row mm -hmm. and was just like trying to, because her instincts were amazing. But like it was, you know, and also how does, mm. how does amplification, instrumentation, how does that all fit? I, know, I was just thinking about the football thing again. <laughs> and um, just because they're, okay, so we are, you are coach. You are, because like you're there on the side and, you, and you're, you're, you know, guiding the movement. You're also a cheerleader. And you're also, hadn't like thought that. about that one. <laughs> and you get to wear fun outfits with pom poms. Um, I'd love to. <laughs> and, then, um, and also interpreter. So how are you serving as also an interpreter and a, a door opener? Um, you're like, right, you're inviting people, you're an usher. You're so many exciting things. The two of you, when we started the session, looked and saw a table and a few chairs up here on, on the bima, on the stage, and immediately said, no, we're not gonna do that. And I, don't, I, I have ideas for why that was important, but I think it opens up a thread of conversations about why those pieces, why our space that we're in, why the, the orientation that we're in can be an important piece. And then after y'all address that, we will open up to your questions. Um, I'm gonna take it on a bit of a different track and say like, let's get out of our buildings, right? And I, I, we're blessed that Jewish community of Greater Stowe that there are no pews. Um, there are, you know, lovely wooden chairs and you can move them around in every, any configuration. And, you know, people ask me, like, why are you so close to the, you know, like, I will sit like this far away and it's a seven circle and, you know, multiple circles. And um, it's about creating that intimacy. But also, like, let's get out of the synagogues because there are, you know, to state the obvious, there are people that are not going to walk into a synagogue, uh, but also there are other spiritual places uh, and spaces. And so we've had a really nice partnership with this this bar, restaurant, wellness space uh, where we've had. I know it's a, it's an amazing place. Um, Vodka and Pilates. That was Vodka, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, we've. We've had two big Vermont-wide Hanukkah parties and brought in uh, Kleswoods and um, uh, New Orleans Klezmer All-Stars. And it's this musical, I mean, it's like the best horror you've ever seen. And it happened in Vermont. I mean, you wouldn't expect it, um, but, it's, you know, but it's possible. And sometimes you know, taking that leap of faith and trying something musical and innovative it could flop or um, it could draw new people in and, and excite people around music. Mm. Um, I, just in the other book that I brought, um, Building Singing Communities by Joey Weisenberg, if you don't have it, grab it. Um, 
And one of the first things he says is, if there's a bima or a like a standing, um, you know, some sort of stage, get off of it, <laughs> like fast, so that because it just creates this real border between the people that you're actually trying to grow in prayer with, and how can, you have to all be interconnected, not only spiritually but physically. It needs to be, you need to be close, and. Um, it, but it's also, in being a nimble community that moves around a lot, you do come up against the issues of sound all the time, yeah. depending on what room you're in. Mm -hmm. sure, should we sing? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to close out with singing. Um, as we do, I'm, I'm actually speaking to the people listening right now, and I just want to say to them that I'd like you to sing along. Um, and, and I mean that. Um, because... One thing we didn't get a chance to delve into, but what, what the walls of our buildings mean today in a world of streaming services, in a world of boundary transgressing in all sorts of ways, um, is changing. And so I'd ask that those who are listening think of themselves as being a kind of here with us. Come on up, folks. Lechadodi, likrakala, penei shabbat. Good Shabbos, everybody. Nekavela, lechadodi, likrakala. Let's fill it out. Penei shabbat, nekavela, lechadodi, likrakala. Come on up. Ah, uh, ah, uh, come. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, 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 Well, uh, that was pretty fun. That was a pretty fun one to close. I hope you did sing along. I, I sang along while editing. So uh, at the very least, there are three different time streams that are intersecting and in singing that song. Uh, when we met and actually had this conversation in Newton, Massachusetts at Hebrew College, uh, when I was editing and singing by myself at my computer screen, and now when all of you are singing along. So hopefully this time-bending experience has been good for you. And hopefully this was a good chance to just Think about what's going on exactly with um, with prayer services, with singing, um, how that all plays out in Jewish spaces. So I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to close out this bonus episode in the same way that we close out all of our episodes by encouraging you to be in touch with us. And there are a wide variety of ways for you to do that. First, you can head to our Facebook page, Judaism Unbound. Second, you can head to our Twitter feed at, at Judaism Unbound. Third, you can go to our website, JudaismUnbound.com. 
And last but not least, you can always hit us up via email at dan at judaismunbound.com or lex at judaismunbound.com. The last request we'd like to make is that you can always support us with a financial donation on either a monthly recurring basis or a one-time gift basis. And you can do that at judaismunbound.com slash donate. So thanks so much for listening. And with that, this has been the most rock and roll ever episode of Judaism Unbound.